X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I am Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Wednesday, October 21st. Reminder that it is X-Ray's 2020 Fall Fun Drive. Big thank you to Lee. Lee, who has started a peer-to-peer page as a fan of The Local, has already raised money for the Fun Drive. Thank you so much, Lee. You can do likewise by going to xray.fm and clicking the blue Donate button. If you want help with it, you can also call 503-233-XRAY. That's 503-233-9729. Let me tell you, everyone will appreciate it. Today, back in the day, October 21st, 1861, Oregon Senator Edward Baker was killed in the Civil War. Baker was the only U.S. Senator to be killed in the Civil War. In 1852, Baker moved to San Francisco to help establish the Whig Party in that new Democratic state. By 1856, he had joined the new Republican Party. Baker arrived in Oregon the winter of 1859-1860, and working with Douglas Democrats, he won one of the first U.S. Senate seats from Oregon in 1860. The same year, his close friend Abraham Lincoln was elected president. He was a close friend of Abraham Lincoln, even introduced Lincoln at his first presidential inauguration. The two had a great deal of respect for each other, but they didn't always see eye to eye. While serving the House of Representatives for Illinois, Baker was a strong supporter of the war against Mexico. Lincoln was more hesitant to enter into that war. And by the way, Oregon was part of the territory won during that war. Baker was also a fan of an idea called popular sovereignty. It was a pre-Civil War compromise where the federal government let states individually decide what to do about slavery. Lincoln allowed popular sovereignty at first, but eventually used federal powers to ban slavery entirely. Senator Baker proposed many political compromises in order to avoid an all-out Civil War. But when Lincoln rejected him, Baker asked to lead a regiment in the Union Army. He was killed in the Battle of Ball's Bluff today, back in the day, 159 years ago, the only member of Congress to die in the Civil War. Today, back in the day, October 21st, 1929, sci-fi and fantasy novelist and longtime Portland resident Ursula K. Le Guin was born. She began as a pulp novelist who defied genre boundaries with her lyrical writing style and attention to nuanced, radical politics. She merged a wide variety of influences from anarchist Peter Kropotkin to Taoist Lao Tzu to her anthropologist father, Alfred Kroeber. She wrote more than 20 novels, also 100 short stories, seven essay collections, a dozen books of poetry. Her most popular works, A Wizard of Earthsea, The Left Hand of Darkness, and The Dispossessed. She moved to Portland in 1959, where she would spend her entire writing career. Her husband, Charles, was a history professor at PSU for most of that time. She was an active member of the Portland literary community. She taught workshops at Pacific University at Forest Grove and at PSU. She was an early supporter of Fish Trap, a regional writer's retreat. She was a board member for both the Oregon Literary Arts and the Multnomah County Library. She's won just about every award an American writer can win. In Oregon, she's received Lifetime Achievement Awards from Willamette Writers and Literary Arts. Le Guin, hugely influential, both for her writing style and radical political thoughts, remains one of Portland's most iconic artists. Today, we will have your Quick 6 News headlines, and we'll have an interview with candidate for Portland City Council position for Dr. Mingus Maps. First up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown, X-Ray. There's new polling that shows support for most, but not all, of the new tax measures. Newly released data from OPB and DHM Research shows three of the new funding measures will likely be approved in November. The Portland Public Schools bond enjoys the highest margin of support. 64% of surveyed voters planning to vote yes, just 25% voting no. That bond seeks $1.2 billion to fund renovations for numerous high schools, including a potential rebuild of Jefferson High School. The Parks Levy and the Preschool for All initiative are also favored to pass by a 17-point margin. 53% of respondents plan to vote yes for both of those measures. 
with about 36% saying no, and the rest, you know, a little bit in between. The Preschool for All initiative would be funded through an income tax on high earners, which pointed to a broader shift in support for income taxes in Portland. When asked what taxing mechanisms the respondents preferred, income taxes received the greatest support, payroll taxes a close second. That said, the more controversial metro transportation measure also received a narrow majority of support. 47% of voters likely to support that measure, 42% likely to vote no, 42% say they plan to vote no, The data also shows a contrast between counties. Multnomah County voters, they support the measure, 55 to 34. Clackamas County, just about flipped, 35 support, 53 opposed. The one measure running at a deficit in the polling? The library bond, five points down, 39% yes, 44% no. John Horvick, a director at DHM, had this to say, people aren't going to the library right now, maybe they feel they won't for a while. He also suggested that margins for all funding measures typically tighten closer to election day, so stay tuned. Edie Mondanay has resigned as Portland's NAACP president. Mondanay had initially refused to step down after Portland Mercury reported allegations of abuse by 11 former members of his church, the Celebration Tabernacle. He denied those allegations, referring to them as a manifestation of the current trend of cancel culture. He is still listed as the head pastor for Celebration Tabernacle. Last Friday, the NAACP board voted for his resignation. Mondanay signaled he would finish out his term, which was set to expire later this year. But yesterday, they did announce his resignation. Your daily dose of coronavirus data. Yesterday, the Oregon Health Authority reported six new deaths due to COVID-19, raising the state's total at 633. They also reported 346 new and presumed cases of coronavirus, bringing Oregon's total to 40,136. Yesterday, we said we'd clear 40,000. Unfortunately, we now have. Multnomah County reporting the vast majority, 101 new cases. That's almost 30% of the state's total new cases. For comparison, Multnomah County reported just 14% of the cases for last Tuesday. In response to Oregon's rising cases, the state has expanded its mask-wearing requirements. Right now, Oregonians are expected to wear a mask in indoor public spaces and outside when social distance can't be maintained. But amidst rising cases, the health authority is expanding those requirements. Masks must now be worn in all private and public workplaces, including classrooms and offices. Masks must be worn in all private colleges and universities. And outdoor markets and street fairs also subject to these requirements going forward. When you started, why the mask? Protect the people closest to me. Maybe you were a loner, right? You didn't have any family? There are always people you care about. Don't realize how much until they're gone. The idea was to be a symbol. That man could be anybody. That was the point. A new commuter ferry for Portland is expected to cost $40 million up front. Friends of Frog Ferry, a nonprofit group, released a report on Tuesday detailing costs for the proposed ferry system. The upfront cost, $40 million. Annual operations, $2.6 million. The report comes at the end of a three-year grassroots campaign advocating for river transportation. Frog Ferry's founder, Susan Bladholm, said the ferry from Portland to Vancouver would likely draw at least 3,000 riders daily. Now the group must find public funds to help get the project started. The current pandemic has seen the demand for public transit plummet. This report also came out before a proposed payroll tax for more transportation projects. As a result, Friends of Frog Ferry will likely not be able to secure funding for Metro in the near future. The report estimates that operating the ferry would cost about $8.50 per rider. Fares would cover about 45% of those operating expenses. Ticket price is expected to be 5 bucks, with a $3 honored citizen fare. In comparison, TriMet buses cost $3.18 per rider to operate. Max trains cost $4.14. Portland streetcars... The plan calls for seven ships that run Monday through Friday at peak hours with 70 to 100 person capacity. Smaller ships would run south from downtown to Lake Oswego. 
Some challenges for the ferry include a lack of dock infrastructure, unresolved accessibility issues, and waterway congestion. The group is hoping to start a pilot program in the summer of 2022, followed by a passenger system in 2024. John Kitzhaber, former Oregon governor, has come out against the drug decriminalization measure. A former emergency room doc, Kitzhaber built his political career on healthcare innovations, and Kitzhaber would end up becoming Oregon's longest-serving governor. On his blog, Kitzhaber urged voters to reject Measure 110, which seeks to decriminalize the possession of small amounts of drugs, lower the penalties for possessing larger amounts. But according to Kitzhaber, Measure 110 would ultimately worsen Oregon's ability to treat addiction. He argues that Oregon's drug courts would no longer be able to offer people treatment options. The measure does not require the creation of any new treatment capacity. He also questions the measure's funding, which would divert cannabis tax dollars that currently go to schools and the police. Some good news, Ripple of Hope. Jackson County vegetation is being reseeded by helicopters. Several miles of greenery and blackberry brambles were burned in the Almeida fire. The affected area is located along the Bear Creek Greenway between Ashland and Central Point. Jackson County officials are hoping to stop flooding this winter that would be the result of eroded soil. By spreading seeds across the burned area, vegetation may be able to take root and hold the soil in place. This would keep soil out of the creek and decrease the risk of floods. Officials consulted with ecologists to find a seed mixture that would grow quickly while still preserving local plant life. They settled on a mix of barley and some local plants called forbs. The barley was chosen because it does not reseed, will therefore not come back as potential wildfire fuel in later years. So Jackson County purchased $75,000 worth of seeds. That's 41,000 pounds of seeds, by the way. Another erosion control method involves placing tubes of compressed straw, also known as straw wattles, in especially dry spots. The wattles are rolled out on top of vulnerable patches of soil, especially on slopes. When it rains, the straw protects the top layer of soil from being washed away. Jackson County is still looking for volunteers to help lay out straw along the greenway. If you're interested in helping out, you can email ampostba at jacksoncounty.org for more information. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-Ray. And it is the X-Ray Fun Drive. Please do become a member today. It would make our day. You can go to xray.fm and click the blue Donate button. You can also call a human being at 503-233-9729. That's 503-233-X-Ray. X-Ray. X-Ray. In the coming days, we are going to focus on the race for Portland City Council Position 4. First up... Candidate Dr. Mingus Maps sits down with DJ Ambush and Jefferson Smith to discuss his vision for policing and public safety. For more of this interview and all of our candidate interviews, look for Vision 2020, X-Ray's candidate interview series on podcast platforms. You can also find all of our interviews on xraypod.com. Please note this interview was recorded in June, shortly after protests started in Portland. Mingus also joined us on the X-Ray Morning Show just yesterday, but unfortunately the audio was lost in a technical issue. He spoke to many of the same concerns and possibilities. Here are Dr. Mingus Maps, DJ Ambush, and Jefferson Smith. Hello everyone, this is DJ Ambush of The Numbers and X-Ray FM. In Portland, four of the five city council seats are on the ballot. There's a chance that not only will the city council become majority people of color, but there is a chance that three of the five seats will be filled by black leaders. And I'm Jefferson Smith. I'm with Ambush. Mingus Maps is in a runoff with incumbent Chloe Udaley for position four on the city council. Mingus received 28 and a half, actually 28.65% of the votes, just 5,700 votes behind incumbent Chloe Udaley. That forced a runoff. That primary drew over 200,000, more like 212,000 votes 
for position four, and there's going to even be more votes in November. So it's anybody's race. Today, Mingus Maps is here with us to discuss the race, also probably discuss the current discussions around racial justice and Mingus Maps' vision for Portland. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me. I always love to be on your show. There is a moment right now, even to call it a moment might cheapen it, a movement that is well underway. Attention can be focused towards deep, hopefully lasting impact. Where do you want to focus people's attention? Oh, sure. Well, thank you for this question. And it is true. This is um, really a historic and pivotal moment. I'm an African-American man, and I can feel the weight of the moment and the stakes of this moment. Um, I'm grateful to have this opportunity to um, and talk to Portlanders about what this moment means. Um, and I, what, what I'm trying to talk about right now um, and keep us focused on as a community is racial justice. You know, the, um, the work of building a more perfect union is not done until all of us are equal. Uh, um, and I want to get us to continue to work on that. I also want to emphasize peace. Um, you know, as an African-American, one thing I know is that racism fundamentally rests on a foundation of violence. And so if we want to dismantle racism, one of the things we need to do is reject violence in all of its forms. Um, the other theme I'm talking about right now is accountability, uh, both individual accountability and institutional accountability. So I think we need to hold our police department accountable for providing the best service possible. And I think we need to hold each other accountable for um, constructively engaging in our political processes. Um, I also want to think, you know, I want to fundamentally remake our police department. This is a unique opportunity here. I see that. Let's get this done. Um, I'm excited about going in and reworking the uh, police contract and the rules governing policing. I think this is our opportunity to fundamentally rethink public safety, and I'll be doing that. And the other thing I want to do is just remind people that the COVID crisis is still with us. And COVID is also um, an issue of racial justice. But people who are most likely to get sick and die from this disease are people of color. I think Oregonians may have forgotten that actually we have not conquered this disease yet. Indeed, we have given back most of the progress we've made over the past two months. So please be careful in there. Uh, uh, I encourage you to go out on the streets and thank you for doing that. But let's remember to social distance. Let's remember to wash our hands. Let's remember to wear those masks. And let's remember to uh, remember um, our most vulnerable Portland, uh, uh, both because of uh, immunity status and because of color. Mingus, there's a lot of energy around, you know, everything that's happening right now. Uh, do you have any thoughts on how some of that energy can be galvanized towards uh, organizing around the vote in the census? Oh, gosh. Um, yes. Well, I, you know, uh, I, I'm a, for those of you who might not know me, I'm a political scientist by training. So what I've done for most of my life is to kind of train people about how government works and how to engage government. Um, the protests out of the street, off streets are uh, incredibly important. They've created this window of opportunity. Uh, but the close on that window of opportunity, uh, you know, it, it doesn't end at 11 o'clock at night. You know, you actually have to go to those public meetings. We have budget hearings uh, and city council set meetings happening literally I think right now, um, as we're taping this, um, that's where we're going to make decisions about uh, um, policing and public policy. So uh, please remember to pay attention to not only what happens outside City Hall, but also what happens inside City Hall and the census. And this is one of my deep concerns, too. I'm kind of a 
from my academic research and training, uh, I, uh, I know how important the census is. It both gives us a picture of ourselves, and this is a great time to look inward, to get a sense of what America looks like these days. And it also makes um, our place an incredibly important role in terms of how we allocate federal and state and local dollars. Uh, um, so I want to, I'd love to have this opportunity to remind everyone to fill out those census forms. You can actually do it online. I did it a couple of weeks ago um, and it only took 10 or 15 minutes. Um, it is one of the most powerful things that you can do to um, actually help your community um, help itself. So please jump online, get that done. I'm afraid it's going to get lost in the COVID thing and the protest thing. It's one of these uh, important background issues that we just got to take care of. Mingus, off top, I do want to ask this, because I know it's been in the news, and I know you've addressed it, at least to some degree, but I haven't heard you talk about it. You, you probably have, but I haven't heard it. You took a, a $15,000 contribution from the Portland Police Association. We just, we just swapped out the chief. I'm going to want to ask you about that, too. We've had uh, six chiefs since 2015. We've had one head of the Portland Police Union since 2010. A bunch of strong and I would argue progressive candidates have done likewise, have accepted contributions from the Portland Police Union. Uh, What were your thoughts when that transaction was happening? Sure. Well, you know, um, I think the police union endorsed me um, and actually it's an in-kind contribution. So it's not a cash contribution. That's one of the things that's kind of funny about it. Yeah, they sent out a mailer. I get that. And and I know and and I've read some of your response, but I'm just curious about sort of the mindset of the discussions with them when it was going down, like when that discussion started happening. You know, I've been a leader and an activist on public safety issues for a long time. I've been an innovator around bringing community policing uh, uh, to Portland. Um, If you're the kind of cop who goes to community meetings, you probably know me because I'm the guy who's, you know, one of the regular suspects at the community meetings trying to pull together people to solve hyper-local problems. And one of the things that I've always tried to do over the course of my career is to bring all the stakeholders to the table. Um, And, you know, for me, you know, I always reach out to, you know, regular Portlanders and to the business district and to uh, the church and to uh, clergy and to, you know, cops, um, because I think we all really solve problems in Portland is to kind of come together um, and use our best energies and use our best talents to, you know, solve collective problems. Um, I think that the rank of file police officers who are out there on the streets too know me for doing that. They know I'm a smart and constructive guy. Um, they know I've been a leader around bringing community policing to um, uh, to East Portland and bringing crime prevention to the whole city of Portland. Uh, You know, a thing that I think gets lost here is that no one in Portland is happy with our public safety. You know, residents don't like it. uh, People of color don't like it. And frankly, cops don't like it either. Um, One of the things I've been trying to offer, and it's it's the thing that kind of got me in this race to begin with, is a new vision of um, taking care of each other as a community. I think that one of our problems over time is that uh, we have made the cops the center of our public safety system, and I think they should be a partner, uh, um, but we should, they shouldn't be the hub. Um, and frankly, I think that's something which rank-and-file cops know. Um, I think they want a champion who can actually change things, and um, you know, I'm trying to lead that discussion. I also think of myself as a bridge builder. Um, and if there's someone out there who can bring uh, the police and the people together um, at the table to discuss issues of police accountability um, and public safety, I think I'm the person who has, you know, a, a good chance of making that conversation work. 
Earlier on, you mentioned some ideas about, uh, you had some ideas about restructuring the way the policing is operating right now. I am curious about that. But before getting there, <coughs> I have to admit, be 100% honest, when I saw the uh, connection between you and the police, there was a visceral, there was a very instinctual, uh, you know, thing that popped up. I was like, oh, well, this can't work for me. So I want to start there. What do you say to voters that may have seen that and their immediate response, especially voters of color? We have had very tumultuous relationships with the police department, and we don't necessarily we haven't in the past seen what appears to be, uh, you know, cops taking a knee and, and, and uh, kind of communicating that they are willing to listen. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There was a temporary uh, stay in the use of tear gas that was uh, reported, I believe, a day or two ago. But I spoke to protesters last night. Tear gas and rubber bullets were being used as of last night. It was still happening. So when we're talking about, you know, having trust and how, how do you address that? Sure. Well, um, let's let's talk about the use of tear gas and uh, uh, and the bullets. Um, obviously, that's unacceptable, especially the bullet thing. That's truly dangerous and shouldn't have happened. And if it did happen, that's, I think, a problem. Also, I point out that this is a matter of elected leadership. There is a police commissioner in town um, who should provide direction on this. Um, I think we need to have a I don't even think we need to have a community conversation on it. I think the rubber bullets are utterly unacceptable. I think the uh, tear gas is counterproductive. Um, there are elected leaders in Portland who can fix that and should fix that. I'm disappointed that does, hasn't happened yet. Um, but that's one of the things that, you know, when I talk to my friends who are on city council um, and in policymaking positions, you know, that's where I'm urging them to go. Um, and listen, I'm an African-American male too. I'm 6'1", 250 with a shaved head. Like there's, you know, there are not a lot of people in Portland who understand the problems surrounding uh, um, race and policing better than I do. I've lived this, you know, they say you have to have 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. I've been a black man for 50 years. So I have like a quarter million hours of being, you know, of practicing how to deal with racism and police. Um, and one of the things that I have learned is that if we want to make this work, we actually have to be constructive. Um, you know, we have to listen to each other. And that's what I have done throughout my entire career, is to try to bring people together to solve uh, um, the problems that matter to us most. There is no way to solve the problems of policing in Portland without having the police at the table. You know, which doesn't mean that uh, they get a veto, um, but if they're going to do the work of public safety, I believe we should honor the workers and have them at the table and talk about what the issues are. Okay. And I think if you talk about a police, if you talk to police, uh, um, if you talk to police in an honest, straightforward way, um, they return that to you and you can identify the problems. You know, the cops, uh, you know, the cops don't like what they're being asked to do either. They're frustrated with leadership. They don't, you know, people don't trust the police and the police don't trust their political leaders. You know, this is a recipe for disaster. This is why we have uh, um, two weeks of people out on the streets every night and, uh, and, a, and an elected leadership that seems unable to resolve the problem. If you want change, you have to embrace change. And I represent change. You know, there has been only three people on city council uh, who have ever looked like, or no, two, two black men on city council. Uh, and those come from decades ago. And we face very different problems. If you want to sort of make um, policing responsive to uh, uh, the needs of African-Americans, I really think that one of the things you should do is have an African-American at the table. 
it, it is about time for us to wrap. I, I know that one of my, and, I, and I'm eager to do this again. I know that my, um, I have had a critique that the media tends to be fight promoters because fights get clicks and fights get eyeballs. It is useful and important to get to the hard part, to avoid merely pablum and happy talk and get to what actually is going on, the decision points and where actually the choice lies. And one occasionally can be disguised as the other. And I want to have that in our minds in our future conversations. But for now, let me just finish with this question. Where is a place that Chloe Udaly is getting a bad rap? Where is a place where there's a critique that you think is unfair? And if you think there's a, a critique of you that's unfair, feel free to offer that too. But I at least want to hear about something you think is unfair that people are saying about Chloe. Oh, sure. Um, and uh, I don't matter here. You know, I, I, I could list a hundred things that happened today that feel unfair to me. Uh, but I actually, I, I want people to actually know this and hear this. Um, I like Commissioner Udaly. I respect Commissioner Udaly. I respect the values that she brings to politics. I think she, she probably does get a bad rap uh, um, or gets treated unfairly, frankly, because of her gender. Um, I think she also gets treated uh, uh, poorly because she's um, not affable all the time. Um, and frankly, this is the, the job she has is super tough. I can understand why you might not be chipper every day. Uh, uh, um, so what I try to do is to uh, honor her, her humanity. Um, I try to hear what she's trying to say. Um, and then I also try to evaluate it. You know, um, you know, I, there are not a lot of places where we, I think, Chloe and I, uh, or you, Commissioner Udaly and I fundamentally disagree on values, but I think that um, Udaly doesn't have a strong evaluation component to anything that she does. Um, and sometimes when you do stuff and it doesn't work, you got to actually ask the question, is this working? And if it's not working, you got to change. Um, so, you know, I, I wish her the best uh, and really more, especially, I know you've done something like this before, Jefferson, uh, uh, so you know how tough it is. And uh, certainly being on the campaign trail, it just infinitely increases my empathy for everyone who's had the courage to throw their hat into the ring. It is um, truly a life transforming experience. But within that, we all remain human. You know, I've never felt closer. I, ironically, the people I uh, have, I feel most close to over the last couple of months are, you know, the candidates I've met on the campaign trail, you know, even candidates who've run against me. Uh, yeah. You're going through, a, you're going through a shared experience. Oh yeah. I mean, no one knows what, you know, no one knows what my life has been like uh, more so than like Sam Adams, uh, because we've been out there. In fact, we kind of became a little kind of buddies out on the campaign trail, sort of doing our debates and whatnot. Uh, so it's a human, in, it's a human endeavor. One of the things I try to remember is that these pe people are not uh, my enemies. They're, um, we are both pulling in the same direction. Uh, we want to help. We're on the same team. Uh, uh, um, and as a leader, I try to do that. And I hope that uh, all Portlanders remember that ultimately we love our city. We want to build that city. Loyal listeners, loyal listeners, thank you for your time. Mingus Maps is running for city council position four. You can find out more at Mingus Mingus, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ambush. Thank you, Jefferson. Thank you. Stay well. Thanks to Dr. Mingus Maps for joining the local, and thank you for listening to the local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. 
If you care about making sure that media is independent, community-driven, empowered, and a place where neighborhood local artists, activists, and creatives are empowered in a sea of corporate-driven media powered by interests of what will make the most money and get the most clicks, become a member and help us meet this moment at a tipping point. And again, that number, 503-233-X-RAY. And by that, I mean 503-233-9729. If you prefer the interwebs, go to xray.fm and click the blue donate button. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-ray. 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 X-ray